just the door to liberty. And I decided, since I have enjoyed and participated in that passage, I want to share with you a few thoughts from that. I will not give you the one hour and 15 minute version of that Bible study. But I will share with you a few snippets of that. And I really appreciated uh, Glenn's help in terms of that preparation. Do I have lots of commentaries? Yes. Do I have lots of opportunity to, with my computer work? Yes. But when we have experts in our midst, we ask them. And we should never be too old to ask, even though I have gray hair and have been preaching for some time. Never be too old to ask those who work in a given field. When I presented the Bible study on that morning, I asked them, about 500 people in that room that morning, I said, how many of you spent any time recently in the book of Ezekiel? Not a single hand went up. <laughs> Somehow I was comforted by that then, because I thought, well, some of the things I would share would be fresh. There is a great linkage between Ezekiel 34 in particular, as there's a major transition in the book of Ezekiel, from the earlier part of that book where there's, there are heavy oracles that God brings against the people he calls shepherds. And we might think of the shepherd of God's people as the pastor, but actually the shepherd of God's people and of that area would not have just been the pastoral leaders, but political leaders, people who had responsibility for leadership. So the question was, was then and is now, how exactly are we going to be leading the people that God gives us responsibility for? But I was really glad that they gave me Ezekiel 34 because it's like the tipping point where things start to get better and we begin to concentrate on God taking responsibility as the shepherd for his people. And there are wonderful things from the book of Ezekiel that God has to say about what he's going to do for his people. Now listen, some of you might think when you study the Old Testament, and you'll hear this from your people if you're pastoral leaders, the God of the Old Testament seems so different than the God of the New Testament. It's not true. But there is a progressive revelation about the nature of God that we see fully expressed in the person of Jesus. There are 22 promises that God made, and they're recorded in Ezekiel. first one is, he says, I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them. Now, they've been in Babylonian captivity at this time. He talks about restoring his people. He says, I will bring them out from the nations. I will bring them out from the countries. I'll bring them to their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in the settlements. I myself will tend my sheep. I will search for the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. I will shepherd my flock with justice. These are the words of our God. Years pass. The people do return to Israel. The temple is rebuilt. We come fast forward several centuries to the time of Jesus. And there are still religious leaders. And the religious leaders are following him around as he teaches. And they're there, and sometimes they're making snide comments to him as he teaches. Or they're asking penetrating questions as he teaches. Or they must have gotten together among themselves to dialogue about what he had to say, to try to trip him up. And they're moving these religious leaders to plot, actually, at the end of the day, his death. Because after all, he claims to forgive sins, doesn't he? Not only does he claim to forgive sins, he heals people. 
And the context of John chapter 10 and the verses I want to read follows an amazing healing that Jesus did. And the song that we've just been singing is really, could easily be the title of the message, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Because in John chapter 10, Jesus heals a blind man. But the point of the healing, yes, for the blind man's good. Wonderful thing happened for the blind man. But the eyes of the heart is what Jesus wanted to open for the Pharisees and for his own people to realize that a whole new way of living and a whole new realm was actually breaking in in a fresh and new way through a door, through a gate, through Jesus who himself is the gate. So in the Gospel of John, we have words from Jesus. And these words I'm about to read follow the healing that occurred. And I want to say a few things about this healing this morning. <clears throat> Jesus says, and it's interesting, he speaks directly to the Pharisees. Very truly I say to you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. When we traveled in Turkey, we, shot, we saw sheep pens that were made of stones, one on another in a circle. There was no door, because we were told that the shepherd actually uh, placed himself at the door to watch over the sheep because the sheep would be gathered in that place of a place of safety. The other thing is that sheep pens held more than just one fold of sheep. So Chris could be a shepherd, Joe could be a shepherd, uh, Christoph could be a shepherd, I could be a shepherd. All our sheep could be together in this pen. But if Joe went to call his sheep, my sheep wouldn't follow Joe. It's a fascinating thing that was happening at that time. So Jesus says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. So there have been shepherds in the land who have been acting like thieves and robbers. And Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. 23 years ago this summer, I know for some of you that's practically a lifetime ago, but 23 years ago this summer, I was in Pasadena, California, taking my last doctoral course at Fuller Seminary. For two weeks, we would sit side by side at tables, and so uh, there were about 30 of us in the class. My seatmate was a Methodist minister by the name of Jerry from uh, Tennessee. Throughout the two weeks that we were together, Jerry told me about how we would come bear hunting in northern New Brunswick. He offered that perhaps I could join him. I wasn't interested in particularly on bear hunting. But I was interested in his uh, passion and we got to know one another in those two weeks. Almost toward the end of the second week, the professor said to me, and we always had a student leave the intercession, he said, hmm, Gardner, Harry Gardner, because you could see my nameplate, uh, have you led the intercession? Because every morning class would start with prayer. I said, no, I haven't. 
Would you like to leave the intercession? Mm, yes, okay. So my palms were sweating just like they are right now. They really do sweat even after all these years of preaching. Yours should too when you get to share the word of God. It's exciting and it's nerve-wracking because you want to be honoring the word. That morning, I said, sure, we'll pray. I will do it. So I listed the things as people asked. Jerry put his hand up. Jerry had those kind of glasses that went pretty dark in the sunlight. Said, um, he put his hand up and said, how do we, Jerry, what can we pray for? He said, the Holy Spirit is prompting me to ask you to pray for me. I said, fine, and how can we pray for you? As I'm writing down, he says, that the Lord would open my blind eye. I'm writing, okay, like I've always prayed for the Lord to open a blind eye. Never. Professor said, we'll teach you about that when the time comes. Went through the intercession for various people. Three or four of us gathered around Jerry and uh, just gently put our hand on his shoulder and asked God to open the blind eye from birth, a pupil in the shape of an S. Jerry's eye, as we prayed for it, after about 30 seconds, the pupil began to go up and down and then back and forth. And after about two minutes, he said, I can see light out of that eye. And after about five minutes, he said, I can see shapes and images. And as the Lord began to restore his sight, we began to reflect among ourselves. And somehow it seemed as ordinary as just talking to you today, what the Lord was doing. When all of a sudden, Jerry said, take your hands off me now. Professor cleared the classroom as Jerry collapsed into a bundle of tears with heavy sobs, trying psychologically to deal with <coughs> what was happening in his life. We were beside ourselves as a class, and 45 minutes later, Jerry bolted from the room, went back to the dormitory with me in hot pursuit. <laughs> and he said, I'm leaving, I'm going home. I can't take this. My people will not understand. I said, Jerry, your people will understand. God has done an amazing thing. He's shouting at me, get out of my way. He packed his suitcase and he went home. I went back to the class and I asked the professor, please talk to us. We need to, we need to talk about what's happening. He wouldn't, of course, tell us any of the personal dynamic with Jerry, but what he said was, you thought you saw God opening a blind eye, and you did. But God was actually opening up something very deep inside of Jerry. He said, I don't know, Jerry has a major decision to make, is all he said. He said, I think Jerry may get to keep his eyesight. I went to the phone, I don't know how many times, to call Jerry. I still have his address, I'm sure I could track him down. Every time I go to the phone, it was just like the Lord said to me, just leave that alone. Now, I share that with you this morning because this Baptist had never seen anything like that. And I offer it to you to say, we've prayed with a lot of people for eyes and we've not seen God do anything like it since. I've seen the, the pain of suffering. But I offer it to you because I want to tell you that in the Bible, something happened to a man who at a particular place, and Jesus comes into the town. 
Now, for those of you in the room who would say this and that about healing, I just need you to look at the text with me. There was a blind man in this particular place where Jesus entered. And it says as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. First question, and how many people still ask this question in the midst of suffering? Well, whose fault is it? His disciples, who'd been with him, said, Rabbi, who sinned? But this man, who sinned? This man or his parents said he was born blind. How many times do people suffer physical infirmity and then have to suffer psychological infirmity from the weight of those of us who call ourselves Christians, who try to step back and say, well, somebody must have sinned. Or you're not healed yet, well, you must have sinned in your life. Or maybe there's an unbeliever present in the room while we're all trying to pray. Or maybe the enemy's at work. So we try to fix it. Folks, this man's circumstances were for the glory of God. And whatever our circumstances are today, physical infirmity, impaired as we may be even in our soul infirmity, whatever's going on in your life and in my life, it's for the glory of God. Are you going to let God use it for his glory and do with it what he wants? In this case, Jesus, it says, he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus did something. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Who do you suppose among those disciples was going, what are you doing? <laughs> All you've got to do is just speak. Maybe you just touch him. Stand back. Just get the power of God to come down. What's with the mud, Jesus? We've not seen you do this. Well, he did it. He spits on the ground, puts a little saliva with it, with his mud, put it on the man's eyes, and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The men went and washed. He came home seeing. This is a fascinating account of what happens next. Because you would think with the healing would come rejoicing. It didn't. The people who knew this man, said things like, well, it looks like, looks like the same God we see there bathing every day, but he's, well, it can't be him, because he can see, well, what's going on here? Then he goes home, and some of them go to the Pharisees, and I want to tell you, there's a major inquiry that happens next, and the inquiry is, they bring him to the religious courtroom, if you like, and they interrogate and they go down through, well, where were you at the time? Who is it that did this? Why did he do it? And by the way, he did it on Sabbath. He can't be a man of God. Because if he was a man of God, he, he certainly wouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath. Caught all up in their rules and regulations. Rather than ministering to a human being who God obviously did something wonderful. They were divided, it says in the word. Well, it wasn't good enough after they were done with him. Who do they call in next? His parents. Now, this is a man who's of age, apparently. And the parents are nervous because they fear from the religious leaders they're going to be booted out of the synagogue. Interesting thing happens. Finally, the parents say, talk to him yourself. So they bring the guy back the second time. The second time. And they interrogate him again. And they basically, after they're all done with the interrogations, he basically says this, look, all I know is I was blind, but now... How do you fight with that? They did. They boot him out. And here's the most wonderful thing that came. It's kind of one of those serendipitous moments in the Bible study, Glenn, that I did this summer. 
that I'm going to think about through the whole academic year, and are you ready for this good word? My heart beats for people, okay? It just beats for people. I've got a pastoral heart. I want to see people do well. I want to see them thrive in Christ. I want to see them grow. I'm concerned when they're not growing and when we're, when we, when we're not ministering to one another. I think I found something this summer that I've never seen before. I think I noted in the scripture where Jesus went back and found the man. Well, I found it because it says so in the Bible, but I don't think there's another place in the scriptures. If there is, please come, we'll, we'll look at it. Go hunting in the Gospels. Jesus was always moving on. Got to go here, got to go there. The disciples wanted him to stay. He'd say, well, I have other people I need to see in the next town. It says he went back and found that man. And he went back and found him, I think, because of the pastoral concern that the guy had been through a really rough spot ever since Jesus healed him. Booted out of the temple, parents are under suspicion, the guy's under suspicion, friends and family are looking at him kind of crazy, like, were you blind in the first place? You know? Jesus goes back, and then, the open my eyes that I might see. Open the eyes of my heart, because then, Jesus said, who do you think's done this for you? And they have a conversation, and the inner heart is open, the inner eyes are open, man says, you are, you're the son of man, you are the long-awaited one, you're the one we've been waiting for. So not only are physical eyes open, but spiritual eyes are open, and that's the goal of it all. And I want to say to you what you already know, and that is, you and I are part of the most exciting adventure we could ever be on. Some of you will be pastors, some of you will go to other lands, some of you will be involved in what we might call traditional kinds of teaching ministry, some of you will be involved in missionary service, but we together are involved in the most exciting enterprise we could possibly be engaged in because there is the kingdom of God present, it is coming, will fully come in the second coming of our Lord, but among us this morning, the invisible Christ. Among us, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And while we may see dramatic physical healings in all of our lives, I hope for you that you will. But I hope you'll see the dramatic opening of the eyes of people's hearts inside as they get to glimpse who Jesus is and the abundant life that's only found in him. That's the privilege we have. And when they simply pray and say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I have sin that needs to be forgiven. I need cleansing. I need you to come. Please come. And that rebirth happens and the growth happens. There's nothing like it. There's nothing any better. So we do need to pray that song that you folks led us in this morning. Open the eyes of my heart. So... All I'm asking from you this morning is, don't position yourself with your feet on spiritual brakes. Do you know what I mean by that? Take your foot off the brakes and stop putting those feet on the brakes. And maybe put a little foot on the pedal that moves that thing forward. In other words, stop resisting everything inside. Like, well, why did he spit on the ground? He's got... Is that mud? 
Why would anybody put mud in somebody's eye? They get gravel in their eyes? How long? Well, they have to go to a doctor. I mean, I don't know among the disciples the conversation. The pool of Siloam? Who can get to the pool of Siloam? Why the pool of Siloam? That's a long ways off. There's one right here. There's a pool right here, Jesus. Jesus, there's a pool open. They're on their way to Siloam. Are you going to counsel God all your life? Are you going to counsel God all your life? Or are you going to rest and just receive in the inner person the eyes of our hearts be opened? Let's pray. Open the eyes of our hearts through scholarship and inquiry, through ministry to one another, in humility. Holy Spirit, you are at work in our families, among our friends, in our churches, across the globe, in the midst of horrific circumstances, as we view with our human eyes the cruelty of others. And yet in the midst of the, the cruelty we see rays of hope. Teach us to know how to serve you as we serve each other. And to simply open, be open to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.